Hi, I'm Mariana and I'm an addictive eater. Um, I, it's great to be at our first workshop. It's just fabulous to be here. And um, I was quite young when a boy told me that I was fat. And I think, I don't know if it was from that point that I realised that I had a problem with food or I ended up having a problem with food, but, you know, it was to just explode into a, a road of hell with food and bulimia. And because I was so much younger, I was eating lots and lots of huge amounts of food and it became a laughing joke at home. And all the plates would be sent to me at the end of the table because I would do the dishes and I would just sit and pick the food off the plates and it just, and I hated it. And they would laugh at me and I hated it. I just hated it and I couldn't stop. And I remember I was about 18. It was a Sunday afternoon after church, after a three course meal, fully stuffed, sitting in the toilet, reading a magazine about bulimia. And I'm sure the magazine was saying, um, warning against the dangers of bulimia, but I got hope from that article that there's a way out of this eating and being so fat. And um, so I tried, I tried desperately to make myself sick and initially it didn't work and then it started to work and then I just became really good at it. And I got to the point that it just took over control of my life between eating huge amounts of food and throwing up. It was just an absolute living hell. And in between all that, I had a son. And I mean, he was so, when I look back now, he was so underweight at birth, you know, and it was, it has to have been, I'm sure, because of the bulimia. And of course, I didn't realize at the time, you know, he was, he, he was a very, sort of, he was just very underweight. And um, I realized today that my eating had affected him before he was even born. And, um, and addiction took me through the gates of hell and I lost everything through addiction. Um, I lost my home and my job and uh, my son was taken off me and I just could not stop eating, drinking. It, it was just a horrible way of living. And eventually I walked through the doors of another fellowship and they kept saying to me, as long as you're not drinking, you're going to be all right. Don't worry about the food, you'll be all right. And slowly I was dying um, and I discovered another 12-step fellowship and was going along to that for many years and they talked about abstinence and I could never achieve what was discussed in those meetings and I tried everything that was suggested and nothing worked and I've traveled the world looking for answers going to meetings all over the world going to conventions all over the UK and all over the world looking for an answer and I could never find one that would give me recovery from this the way that I felt, the way I behaved around food, my actions. And then one day I went to this uh, convention down in Birmingham, which I'd been to often, the heart of uh, the Birmingham convention. And this woman walked into the room. Now I had met her several years before that, and she was just this, a regular member of the fellowship. And she walked into the room that night and she looked so different. And she was very slim, which I found very attractive, of course. And I was just, how is she? And I was watching her, and there was just, she was inexplicably different, like the big book talked about Ebby. Bill talked about Ebby. She was inexplicably different. And I just couldn't believe it. So I, I asked her, I approached her, and um, I said to her, Do you remember I met you years ago? And she said, No. And I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> and, um, and I said, how, how did you do this? And she said, Why did you come and join us? I'm meeting a newcomer. Come and get a cup of tea with us. And of course, I was so ill, I was like, no, no, you go and have a cup of tea with me and I'll go over here. And 
worry a wee bit more and be sick a wee bit longer. <laughs> and I just couldn't accept her hand of like help at all. But she gave me her phone number and she said, phone me. So two weeks later, I was heading to another convention down in Glasgow looking for an answer. And I put on a blouse that I'd worn the week before and it was so tight in me I couldn't believe it. And I ripped this blouse off and I just went crazy. Crazy in my mind, crazy in my head, crazy in my behaviour. My partner said it was the first time ever that she thought she was going to have to phone for psychiatric help. She said I was just crazy. And I had this brilliant idea that I couldn't live like this anymore, that I was going to kill myself. And I was walking to the kitchen to kill myself and the drama. And um, my partner was screaming. She was so upset, so worried. And I was shouting at her, pushing her out of the way. There's something wrong with you. You're so sick being with somebody like me. Get out of my way. And I had a real peace that I was going to die. And she was saying, please help phone somebody phone some because she knew from the fellowship phone somebody phone somebody and I was so I shouted out to God if you exist if you're there help me because I'm going to die today oh, the drama honest to God <laughs> and um, and in, the, in my head came this voice that was like phone phone your sponsor phone phone that woman so I phoned her and I, t I stomped through the house and I phoned her and I was just, I am so desperate, can you help me? And she said, are you ready to go to any lengths? And I said, yes. I said, well, I really felt I was. And yes, I was so desperate. And um, she said, if you're anything like me and you put one thing down, something else pops up. You put that down, something else pops up. So you'll use something else and then you put that down. And she said, why don't you try putting everything down? And I knew in my heart that she was right. I just knew in my heart that what she was saying was right because I couldn't manage any of this stuff. I couldn't manage any of it. And I remember um, saying to her, you know, that I was, had been sober for, at that point, 15 years in another fellowship. And she said, oh, you might not have been drinking, but you're certainly not sober. I was mortified. Do you know that? Do you know, she was right. She was absolutely right because there's no comparison to what I had then and what I have today in my life. So she suggested some things for me to do and I was really frightened. I was really frightened. There was one thing she suggested that I did and that was putting down medication. And up until that point, I'd had eight years of trigeminal neuralgia and it was so painful a condition. I was so frightened of putting down pills and I, I, was, I was so used to taking them and she suggested speaking to and taking advice about that and I did that and the consultant had said I think that's a really good idea well I really fell off my chair <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so I and my sponsor had suggested that by getting out of all the other substances that maybe that pain will get better and I couldn't believe it and today I have no pain I mean is that not just incredible and um, freedom from food obsession, freedom from pain obsession, freedom from so much. And so she continued to work for me. And it took me quite a while to put the food down. And, and I was trying to pretend that everything was really well and I was, that I was well. And I put the food down. And, you know, and I wasn't purposely playing with food, but I had like, these habits that I just kept popping stuff. I was in the food, popping stuff in my mouth. And there came a point that I thought, I need to be really honest with her. And I kept phoning her and, think, and said, and I've done this, and I've done that. And then the next day, I thought, 
that's everything now. And then the next day it would be like, oh no, we need to tell her about that. Oh, and I've done this and I've done that with food. Like, that's it. Do you remember that, Claire? That's it. I've told her everything now. And then it'd be another one. No, there's. I've got to. So I had to phone her for about two weeks. I was phoning her every day saying, oh, and I've done this with food and I've done that with food. And I was so ashamed, so mortified because it's been shared. It was so secretive. Everything I did about food was so secretive. The buying it, the stealing it, the lying about it, the eating it, the having it in the car, the having it in the house, um, pretending that I had this big food for my son who never touched any of it. Um, And it was just, the secrecy was awful. And the secrecy of the bulimia and trying to find a toilet, make sure it worked before I sat there. And, you know, today I would have been at the toilet checking that the toilets were working so I could throw up. And it was just, everything was so controlled and... It was just, I just know life. It was food, food, food. Think about food. Think about how I'm going to throw it up. Where am I going to find food? When I'd lost everything, I really, a friend of mine very lovingly gave me a job in his cafe. And I ate his food and I stole his money. And he approached me one day and he said, Mariana, are you stealing from me? And I just said, yes. He said, what are you doing with the money? And I said, I'm eating it. And because he was, all, he was in recovery in another fellowship, he forgave me. And you know, it's only very recently, in fact, it was the night before I went to New Zealand that I made a, ma- a proper amends to that man. I met him properly, I went to see him, eventually found him, tracked him down, and made it a proper amends to that man. Um, but I stole from him, I stole so much from him. I stole from my parents, I stole from my dad when he was dying, I stole from my sister. I, I just, just to feed this addiction, I could not stop. Do you know today, sitting here and thinking, I never think about food. I never think about um, throwing up. I haven't, ha- I haven't thrown up from the age of eighteen to forty-six when I met my sponsor. I was throwing up every single day. I've been overweight. I've been hugely overweight, and I've been huge, hugely underweight to the point that I was pretending to doctors that I was better than I was. And when I eventually went to the doctor to speak about the bulimia, the very first thing the doctor did was she weighed me. Why do they do that? She weighed me. I was mortified, absolutely mortified. So then I started lying and I wear my turn up trousers to the doctor and I would get the old, you know, the old fashioned weights mm-hmm. and I would take them and I would put them inside the turn ups because I wanted to prove that I was putting on weight because she was so concerned the next stage was hospital. I was so underweight and the next stage was hospital and I knew that I was going to die and leave my son. I knew, and that was really what was pushing me to try and get well and I couldn't stop. And, I was so desperate and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop throwing up. And I'd be holding my son and thinking, I'm going to die and leave this child. I need to get well. And nothing helped. So um, being in the fellowship today and having direction. And in step three, it talks about turning your will and your life over to the care of God. Well, I've turned, I believe today that I've turned my will and life over to the care of my God through the direction of my sponsor. And I had to start that way because I couldn't believe in God. As much as I wanted to and said I did, I couldn't believe in God. But I could believe in her, and I could believe in the people that she had asked me to phone. I could believe in her. So I've turned my, I started there. People have said to me, like, oh, that must create such a dependence. And it's just given me a huge independence. You know, and it's allowed me to then transfer that dependence from my sponsor onto my God that I've come to believe in which is, in my life, an absolute miracle because I ran from that God for years and thought, I'll never believe in, can't do that, can't believe in that. 
and today it's the most important thing in my life. And I used to say, like, oh, sobriety is the most important thing in my life. And today it's like, no, it's not. Sobriety is not the most important. The connection between me and my God is the most important thing in my life. Because if I don't have that, I haven't got sobriety. I wouldn't have. I'm powerless over all these substances. Therefore, I need a power that has to be the most important thing in my life. And because of that, so many things have changed. The book talks about a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. I don't recognise myself. I don't recognise myself physically because I feel so well. I don't recognise myself emotionally and spiritually I don't recognise myself. My brother didn't recognise me when he saw me. You know, I changed so much. And um, and I look at my family today and where I had lost everything, my home, job, everything I have. A beautiful home, I have a beautiful partner. My son is just, I love him to bits, an incredible relationship with him. Um, one of the best bits of advice I ever got was from my sponsor who said, stay out of his business. You're his mother, stay out of his business, let him make his own decisions. And you know, that is exactly from that day, that is all that I've ever done with him. And our relationship has flourished because I'm not interfering in his life. And I love, to be, I love being his mum. I love that the relationship that we have and I wouldn't have had it if I hadn't started to do what was suggested and I think that's probably the best I think that's probably the turning point I started doing what I didn't want to do I started doing what was being suggested and I really didn't want to do it and but I did and I just did it um, and I look at my and I have my job I, I'm in, still in the same career that I had that I lost and that's a God job because really I shouldn't be in that career, the things that I've done in my life through addiction, I shouldn't be in it. And the <coughs> senior managers made a decision to allow me to continue in that and they dealt with registrations and I'm now working a job that I used to moan about all the time and I, today I love it and I've gone on and furthered my career and furthered my studies and I love that and, and it started with surrender. I had to be very, very broken. And the 12 and 12 talks about, unfortunately for alcoholics, they have to be absolutely beaten before they will they'll do anything that's suggested. And that's exactly what I was like. And today, I just love my life. And sometimes I can be a bit moany and grumpy and full of fears. But I, I'm so grateful I've got the sponsor that I've got because she'll point out to me things that I don't want to hear. But my God has just helped me to grow and... It's just helped me to grow and get sober and to be of use in this world and not me, me, me. I wanted to be Mrs. Doubtfire and I never, ever, ever felt like I was any Mrs. Doubtfire, like Kate with the twin set and per I want to be this really lovely person. I, I want to be this lovely person that was kind and caring and helpful to everybody and I could never do it. And today I'm doing it. Today I'm helpful to others and... I love being able to help other people in this fellowship and around me, and I love it. And so it's brought an awful lot of change to me and my family, and I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.